Hi, everyone. Welcome to Frontier Faith, a podcast where it's okay not to know, not to know what you believe or why you believe it. We believe that we're all on a frontier, discovering more about our faith, discovering more about our world and how the two meet. My name is Nathan Whitaker. And my name is Ryan Harris. And today we're going to be talking about what we grew up hearing is a foundational element of the church, a foundational element of the life of the Christian at the very least, and maybe even a foundational element of Christ's work in our lives and in our world. And we're going to ask uh, ask the question, what if? What if the church actually lived into that element, even if it's not fundamental for you? And today we're going to be talking about repentance. And we thought we'd start off by just kind of sharing uh, briefly how we grew up with repentance. We've you know talked about this in episodes past, especially our early ones. We really dove deep into repentance. Um, so we don't need to do that necessarily because we're more interested in what it could look like than what it did as we were growing up and some of the problems there. Um, but we do want to give you a little bit of a grounding. So Ryan, what was repentance like in your tradition growing up? Other than my uh, minutely activity in my daily life, because I was afraid I was going to go to hell if I didn't. <laughs> um, so, it, you know, I was, as we were talking about this before we started today, I was, I was, it's interesting because on the one hand, the, the Christian world that I come from is like all about repentance, right? Like it's their thing. Like, so any of the groups that fit into the, revivalism, I guess you could say, we'll talk a lot about repentance. And, you know, they always were talking about getting people saved, which required, you guessed it, repentance first, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so repentance was talked about a lot. And repentance was very much uh, basically telling God you're sorry for your sins, you know, whatever, small sin, big sin, middle sin, medium rare, whatever it was, uh, you always had to confess, basically. But in this world, it was very much you confessed to God, right? It wasn't that you had to confess to a pastor or necessarily. Sometimes you'd hear talk of like, it's good to confess to other people too. But by and large, the vast majority was individual from the person to God. And also there would be talk of like from if I did something wrong, I should repent like by uh, expressing regret, you know, apology to the person or people that I have wronged. Um, And yeah, so that was pretty much the gist of it for the most part. It was usually an individual thing. So if I did something, I needed to repent. Um, And it... uh, was very much linked to salvation and, you know, being right with God. Um, Because, you know, if, for example, if someone was, quote, backslidden, right, if they'd fallen away from Jesus, the way to get your life right with God was to repent, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And then it was often linked to revival. So they were always looking for a new revival, a new move of God, God doing something cool, you know. Um, and that I can't, I heard many times that that required repentance to take place first. So like, if you want to see revival, then make sure that there's repentance that takes place. And usually that was of like, so almost to the point of, and sometimes to the point of, 
the reason it's not happening is because you all have sin in your lives of some kind and you need mm. to repent so that God can move in the way that God apparently wants to and gets in the way. Yeah. But is somehow prevented from, because I was mean to, you know, Mary Sue in class or whatever. Yeah. Um, or more serious things, but anyway, yeah. so yeah, usually that was masturbation. Well, yeah, Sorry. usually, usually that. <laughs> yes. At least that's what I was convinced of. Anyway, um, yeah. you know, if, yeah. So uh, it was usually those, that, that kind of thing was, was pretty much the gist. It was, salvation or revival and usually the way that what you need to do was tell god you're sorry and sometimes you'd hear about like repentance means it also doesn't just mean i'm sorry but that means that i won't do it anymore right like the idea of a um like you, you 180 degree turn from something kind of idea i'm walking the other way now which is, you know, fine, whatever, except my, the only thing I would say to that is that I don't know that that's ever been true for anybody. Um, but you know, <laughs> I, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that, that it shouldn't. I'm just saying the idea was, oh, I've repented. So now I'm not going to do some bad thing mm -hmm. anymore. Is, well, it's never worked for me. I don't know about everybody else. I remember being a teenage boy. I would always be repenting of the same things to God and trying and saying, okay, not this week. And then I'd find myself doing the same thing. Oh, yeah. I'm not going to do it anymore. Yeah. And then usually the next hour or two, <laughs> yeah, you know, exactly. or whatever <laughs> it may be. Um, and uh, yeah, no, and that was that was one of the re-traumatizing things for me of like i kept hearing it like you know true repentance means i'm not going to do this anymore yeah. whatever yeah. it is right I'm, for the record we're not talking just about masturbation here <laughs> <laughs> but but you know i said i told a lie or i did something wrong and yeah. then i did it again and so i must not have been truly repentant in the first place so yeah. god's never really forgiven me because here i am doing something again you know right and it was almost like this you know, we weren't Wesleyans and I don't know how the Wesleyans would take this, but the, you know, Wesley had this idea of like, per, like uh, at some point you get to the Christian perfection, right? So mm -hmm. at some point yeah. sanctification means you don't sin anymore. And I don't know that we would have said we believed in that, but it almost seems like we believed in that. Okay. Um, I mean, you know, Wesleyan holiness is not far from the like right. it's, it's in the mix for us anyway. Cousins, yeah. Right. But even so, like that was very much, it, it was a functional belief in that, even if we never taught it, because mm. I always thought, gosh, how am I still doing this? I thought I was sorry, but here I am doing it again. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. I, I told, I, you know, I, I had a bad thought about my brother because he's a jerk. And oh, now I called him a jerk. And you know what I mean? So it was yeah. just this yeah. constant thing. <laughs> yeah, it we had the great. same. Just in case that's not clear, it was not yeah. great, not a great way to live. We had the same kind of thing. Um, I don't think it was to the same. Uh, what do I want to say? It was the same level, but maybe not the same charge as it was, because, um, of course, being in a more liturgical church, if you will, um, we did a lot of that corporately. So we would repent through our confession and absolution time at worship every week. And that was the time where all that stuff happened for me. Of course, it happened throughout the week, too. But um, I don't know. There was something just about doing it in the confession time 
at church, which is the beginning of our worship service, that was the most severe, most elevated, most charged time. And um, repentance was always met with absolution Mm -hmm. from the pastor, of course. So we always were absolved. Now we always, I always had as a kid, like, okay, but just like you said with your brother, thinking of him as a jerk. Well, I sin like while I'm there in church, right? I right. look at somebody or I think about something my brother's doing or... Um, the sermon is really boring and I'm not yeah. paying attention. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so we hit the same cycles, but it's a little different because confession and absolution is how we define repentance. Um Again, we did it in prayer, but really it was there. So um, I don't know if it's like different enough to really dwell on, but it was just, it came in a different package, I think yeah. is what I would say. Yeah. It had a, I guess it by and large sounds like it had a more corporate dimension. Although I I think you could say in, in how it, the effects of it, it worked out about the same. It yeah. Sounds like. And of course we would have the same kinds of rhetoric around repentance, like um, it's a 180 turn. So true repentance means giving something up. Um, There is the missing the mark type Mm -hmm. language with sin as a result of that. Um, Yeah. So we had all that kind of stuff going on too. Uh, Really there was a, a focus, maybe even a hyper-focus on individuality, even though we were doing things corporately. I think it was more just, hey, we're a bunch of people that gather together and we're saying the same thing together, but it wasn't like a corporate. Right. You were still saying, were you still saying like, or in function anyway, it was, I'm sorry for the things that I did, but I'm saying it with all these people. But it wasn't as much of a, we did this. Yeah. No, there's never like we, I haven't had the chance because um, of COVID and we had to switch our liturgy. But it'd be interesting to see what would happen if we confess something that we do as a church mm-hmm. rather than as individuals, because mm-hmm. I'm not sure many Lutherans in pretty conservative areas would know what to do with that. Like corporate sin is not something they would really consider. Right. Yeah. I don't we, remember. I don't remember a lot of talk of that either, honestly. You know, it, yeah. it, it, at the very least, I guess in the only way that I, or the only way I would say that maybe we did was corporate in the sense of human sin versus God. Yeah. But yeah. other than that, I don't, yeah, like, I don't too. remember hearing about us ever being told to repent for systemic sin or, you know, like we've talked about racism, any of that kind of stuff, right? Because after all, I didn't do that. So it's not my fault. I don't have to repent. Or even things that that congregation has done um, within its culture, within its uh, interactions with the wider community. None of that was ever talked about. I don't even know. Now, again, I was pretty young, so I guess it's possible. But I don't think so, because I stayed in that same world till I was older. And it's not like all of a sudden I started hearing it, right? (laughs) Right, yeah. Um, But, uh, yeah, I don't don't remember any of that. I I think it... uh, yeah, I don't know. It's a as we are probably hinting at that'll come up later. <laughs> but uh yeah, no, it was almost always an individual thing. Um or 
if there was a more corporate dimension to it, it was like, it might be something like we haven't been telling people about Jesus or something mm, like that. Okay. Right. Yeah. Um, but it, it was never even we there. The that, same kind of thing. Like we're not living up to who we can exactly. be. Exactly. But even yeah. that's an individual kind of thing. Yeah. Right. I think so. Because how does that change? Well, each of us as a person goes out and tells people right. about Jesus and brings them to church because yeah. that's our only model for growth. Um, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What about, so we, you kind of hinted at it, but I want to draw this piece out too. Like for Lutherans, we do the confession and absolution and that pretty much takes care of it. Like, yes, you do that individually throughout the week too, but really it's just through those spoken words. And of course, because we're liturgical, they're the same ones um, every week, depending mm-hmm. on what church you go to. Now, I don't make it the same. I have people reflect and say their own things to God as they go. But most churches, they have their traditional confession absolution. Um, I can't remember very many times where that was followed up on a reflection of how now we shall live, which is a Lutheran quote or Luther quote. Mm-hmm. Certainly no like embodiment of what it means to do things for repentance uh, with other people, not necessarily with God, but even there, maybe. Um, Was there any like kind of conversation around actions and how your actions might help with repentance? Or is it just so in the camp of God and individual that that's not really part of the conversation? I think that for the most part there was i mean there would be changed action difference in life but that would be the not doing what you're doing anymore okay so So it was it was very much the i was a liar but now i'm not i was abusive but now i'm not um and it might be not just that i'm not but that i'm the opposite right so it might be i was a miserable person but since jesus now i'm cheerful or something i don't know um so I would hear stuff like that, but not in the sense of it still was very much focused on me, though. OK, right? so, yes, I used to do these things. Now I don't do these things because, well, theoretically, I don't do these things. And that, for, you know, therefore that. But it, if there so there was talk about like behavior change, maybe disposition change, but it was usually just the opposite of whatever it was that I was supposedly sorry for. OK. So if that's what our experiences are around repentance, um, why are we asking the what if question? Like, what's what's the problem here that has developed around repentance or was always always there around yeah. repentance? Well, what, what problem are we noticing or have yeah. noticed? Or, I mean, I think I have. Ta- so we, you and I have talked about some of elements of this in on past episodes here, but I think for me, if I was trying to summarize the problem I have with that, and there's, and they are legion, um, <laughs> uh, one of the big ones would be that it seems such an anemic way to view repentance. And because it's so limited to me or you or whoever, right? It's so individual in the sense of, like, for me, my only concern was 
what do I need to do to be quote right with God? Mm-hmm. That may re- require me to say sorry to God, but I mean, it will require me to say sorry to God. It may even require me to say something publicly that I was wrong, you know, but mm-hmm. for me, the whole point of it, the reason for it all was so that I would know that I, that God was not going to get me, <laughs> you know? Um, and so that like repentance, even when it required me to do something that involved someone else, it was still focused on me. So it was a narcissistic repentance. Um, because like, if we have an example of say, I lied about someone and it caused them a lot of harm, I need to tell God, I'm sorry. And I probably need to tell that person like, you know, that I'm sorry, I did this. It was wrong. Please forgive me. But even that, like, I mean, sure, I'd like to say that I would hope that it would help them not feel bad. <laughs> but but the <laughs> the point was so that I would be forgiven. Yeah. Yeah. Which sounds pretty shit, doesn't it? <laughs> uh. Yeah. I call it the the morality game. Mm-hmm. We we have to protect our conscience so much. Um, we can't imagine that we've done bad things. So what we have to do is either guard against that or when we realize we've done something wrong, we say our, we're sorry, but we don't really, at least in my experience, I haven't had very many people repent because they genuinely care about me right. more than they care about their standing before God or... Right. I mean, I remember the some of this was my own anxious personality combined with the theology I was given and all of this. But I remember like just the ang- the roiling anxiety that would be in my in inside of me when I felt like I'd done something wrong. And I would think about, gosh, I really don't want to tell this person I did something wrong, but I'm going to do it because that's the way to make this feel better. Mm-hmm. Like would I have said those words, I don't know that I would have been able to articulate that. But right. my concern. I mean, I'm not saying I had no concern for someone if I hurt them, especially if it was somebody that I cared about. Right. I I did, but they weren't the first concern. The first concern was how do I, I need to turn or burn. That's what I was worried about. (laughs) Okay. Um, Is that a phrase that came up in your childhood? So turn or burn was kind of like a, a joking thing they'd use to make sort of make fun of the way people would like uh, witness to, to, to non-Christians. Oh, okay. But the fact that everybody would chuckle at it shows you that it wasn't yeah. really a joke because everybody instantly got it, right? Yeah. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I think my biggest problem is that it's fucking terrible because it's all about me. Um and and everybody else is a secondary consideration and given the way and i don't i don't feel particularly guilty about this because i was taught this you know and i was pretty young but um but the fact that like i was I, it was just about making me feel better was really the point yeah and that i think that's terrible i just don't really blame myself for it especially when i was 12 you know right um, but now when i look at that view of repentance i mean it's just it's so wrong it's like in uh remember when master luke said uh, amazing everything you just said was wrong it's kind yeah. of one of those moments <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm 100% on board with that. Like, it is very self-centered, selfish, certainly. Um, Usually I try to distinguish between the two, but it feels very selfish. Like, I'm doing this 
primarily, not only, but primarily because I want to feel better and I want to make sure that my relationship with God is okay or whatever it is. Like they're, they're weird. I wish I had a concrete story, but I just remember these weird occurrences. You know, as a kid, you notice things mm-hmm. and you just kind of log it away. There were several times where people would say something to akin to, I know I hurt you. I'm going to go ask God for forgiveness. <laughs> right. You know, that, that kind of stuff. A lot of good. Yeah. 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 I don't know if it was explicitly said like that, but the behaviors and the way that it was communicated, and that was their best attempt at being sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, not everybody did that, but it highlights the selfish and self-centered nature of this kind of repentance. Um, and I want to just say like with Ryan, I understand why people did this because if you're taught all the time that if you don't repent, you're burning in hell or you're not in God's grace or whatever it is, then (laughs) of course you're going to do everything you can to make your first concern being not being, you know, eternal conscious torment. That makes sense. Yeah. It makes sense. That's what's going to happen to you. You know, I would quickly add that. Um, you know, in this conversation, we really need to take grace seriously and um, live into that to alleviate people from this reality. But um, so I would prefer that, like in analysis, I, I would say I would prefer that people not have their primary concern about um, their relationship with God because grace tells us it's taken care of, right? Jesus that's the fundamental message. I think Jesus took care of our relationship with God in the conservative theology. Um, But I would also hasten to add that even if that was the case, sometimes it feels like that's the only thing people are concerned about because then they do not follow up and start to repent to those that they've actually hurt. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, Mm -hmm. well, you don't need to, you, you, you know, you said, sorry to God, God will take care of it. Yeah. But isn't that, yeah, no, it yeah, it's horseshit. But that's that's yeah. The challenge that that presents, I think, and the reason why we need to rethink repentance is because you might be okay in your relationship with God. I would haste I would say that um you know, you don't have to worry about that anyway, so maybe you're wasting energy doing the repentance in that way, but that's a converse, conversation for another time. But even if that did do something, you're going to be okay with your relationship with God, if you will. But what about your relationship with other people? Right. Is it is it not okay? Like specifically the people whom you may have hurt. By yeah, are you supposed to just have them? Are they supposed to just ignore and absorb that? Is that like the conclusion that happens as a result of this weird repentance we have? Well, I mean, I think so because I think what ended up happening. Um, because of the emphasis on forgiveness, right? So if someone has done something wrong to you and they have, you know, said they're sorry, basically, and meant it, then you have to forgive them, right? Like that was, that was it. That was it. Like if if you don't forgive them, well, then God's not going to forgive you because unforgiveness. Hmm. Um, And so it, 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 had the potential to very easily turn into and sometimes did very easily turn into a kind of theological gaslighting of the people who'd been hurt, right? Because after all, yes, I did something wrong. It was bad. And I'm very sorry. And I probably even mean it. But now you, I would never say this, like, 
but everybody else would either say, or there would be the sense that even if nobody said it, now you have to forgive them. Otherwise you're the one in the wrong. Yeah. Right. You know, and, um, that is also terrible. It turns (laughs) out, (laughs) you know, because I think the other thing is that at least this was the conception I always had of it was that like, Repentance is just something that you had to do. So there was no accounting for the fact that sometimes it takes time for you to forgive people. Mm. And like, that's not bad or like, that's okay. Like, that's just how it works. Like we, as human beings, when hurt, we need sometimes time. I mean, everybody's different also. Some people just have a lot of grace and, and mercy and really don't struggle to forgive almost anything right away. But most of us, though, like if I've been hurt by somebody, especially if it's like serious trauma of some kind, mm-hmm. then it it's probably not going to be like, oh, well, they're sorry. So now everything. OK, now everything is fine because you said you're sorry. Right. Yeah. And so, I mean, I think that that was another problem of this of like it. It let people off the hook for harm that they had done, you know, and in my mind, it's one thing to be off the hook eternally, right? Like, so mm-hmm. yeah, you, even if I still believed all the things I used to about how sin and repentance work, which I don't, but even if I did, it's one thing to say, okay, I'm right with God. If you, if you buy into that framework, but mm-hmm. that shouldn't just then be like, okay, well now God doesn't remember it happened. And so now it's like, it didn't happen, but it did happen. Yeah. <laughs> you know? It feels a lot like a play. Like we're all, we've all got our parts to do in this thing. And what really matters is sin and forgiveness, not relationships to be like kind of crass about it. But like, so I go and I apologize. I repent to God for the sin and it's a sin against somebody else. But what really matters is, is a sin against God, right? We use Psalm right, or whatever to do that. exactly. And so then not only does the person play second fiddle, but their role in that whole skit or drama or whatever is to affirm the forgiveness that God gives by forgiving them of the hurt that they did to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it feels like a theological formula. It doesn't feel like authentic forgiveness, even if it could be, you know, there's certainly times where, you know, if somebody apologizes to me for lying, it's like, I get it. Most of the time, I don't know people are lying. Yeah. Um, or, and, and, you know, sometimes it's easy to, it's easier to forgive someone because whatever they may have done, say to me, doesn't actually affect my life all that much, you know? Yeah. But also at the same time, like say someone told a lie about me, which resulted in me getting fired or something. Well, then that person saying, I'm sorry, is not going to help me very much. Right. Because then I've lost my job or maybe I don't get fired. And and maybe it's something like they say something about me that makes people think I'm some kind of pervert or something. You know what I mean? Like that kind of Mm -hmm. stuff doesn't just go away. And then someone telling me they're sorry, it's like the whole toothpaste and tube. You can't put it back in the tube kind of thing, you know? Yeah. Um, and, And I think that understanding was always missing too of like, like saying the words, however sincerely you may mean them. That doesn't, you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. Yeah. The reason I'm asking these questions and drilling down a little bit, because it feels like it's more than just selfishness. It's, it kind of has like a utilitarian view of people 
um, this kind of theology where people are to be used for your forgiveness rather than to be honored as people, as individuals or as emotional beings. And I know that's never explicit or hardly explicit, but it feels like that's kind of what's going on underneath this crazy view of repentance. It's not really repentance. It's just, hey, can we just all agree that I'm an okay person and I didn't really mean that kind of stuff? And even if I really did, Jesus died for me and I'm forgiven. And And even if I don't actually stop doing it, but it's a pattern of behavior for me and how I treat other people. I said, I'm sorry. And Jesus forgives me. Yeah. 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 It feels very shallow this kind of mm-hmm. thing and and of course utilitarian as i said yeah shallow utilitarian anemic <laughs> uh <laughs> selfish narcissistic like and it's not like we're not saying this to dunk on people who who view it this way it, it, it's 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 not like a um that's not the reason the reason is that like it leaves so it just leaves so much out and it it I think perpetuates harm that is done, right? So whenever something sinful takes place, sin does some kind of harm, whether to a person or to people or to groups of people. And so this view of forgiveness doesn't address that because it just makes the perpetrator or perpetrators feel better and has no interest in um, anything else, really. It's It's kind of like, did nobody taught us, nobody told us that, you know, once you say you're sorry, it's fine. And fuck all the other people that you've hurt. Of course, nobody <laughs> said that, right? Yeah. And I don't think anyone even really believes that no. in the sense of, but you know how learned behavior is a thing that you mm-hmm. learn because that's how people in your life act, even though no one ever says something to you. And in a lot of ways, learned behavior is a lot more powerful than whatever someone teaches you in the words that they say or whatever. Yeah. And so I think that a lot of us were guilty of believing that even though we never would say that we believed it or maybe even realized that we did um but that's what we learned right that's what we observed and that's what we experienced and then we did the same thing all of us i don't just mean nate and me i mean everybody yeah so we've talked about like the words of forgiveness and what that really means especially between each other and how it's kind of shallow we've also talked about how that shallowness led to people being used uh, for my own benefit and my own relationship with God. And I just play the part. Um, And of course, the flip side of that last part is um, if we're really following with repentance, uh, especially as laid out in uh, the Jewish scriptures, our Old Testament, if you will, uh, requires some work to uh, recompense and to uh, restore, if not uh, fully, at least somewhat, restore that relationship, because it's always about a relationship, uh, with somebody else, the person you've hurt knowingly or unknowingly. Um, and that's a that's a huge piece that's missed, because at least in my circles, I don't know, it's probably not the same with you, but for us, whenever we start talking about doing works, people start to get really funny about works righteousness. They start to say, well, are you trying to earn your own salvation? Um, and it doesn't matter how much work you do to say, no, this is all in sanctification. And in fact, the Holy Spirit works through our actions to sanctify us. 
Um, and it's all theology, of course. But we get really nervous. And so the general way we approach this in forgiveness and repentance is just, hey, let's not worry about it. Let's focus on the words. And then if there's restorative work that does in the relationship, great. But that's not that's a separate thing than repentance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think most people generally, depending on the situation, but a lot of times people would hope that relationships do get repaired and fixed and go back to, you know, good again. But um, yeah, that's not normally been the, but, but most, or I should say most people kind of stop there and think, like we said earlier, oh, well, I've said sorry. So now we can get to putting things back together again. And that really misses the fact that like, it's, it's just not enough. And the reason for that is because whatever you have done to somebody saying, sorry, doesn't, like we said, doesn't make the effects of whatever happened, just go away. That could be very, uh, in like internalized effects, right? Like perhaps I'd said something to someone that was unkind. And as far as you can tell, it doesn't affect anyone else. Nobody else heard it or whatever. And yet what I may not know is how it affects that person in terms of their uh, just how they view themselves, which can have effects for the rest of their lives. You know, how many times have you any of any of you listening been hurt by something that someone said kind of offhandedly because it played into an insecurity that you had about yourself? And so like the person can say, I'm sorry, and that's good. But you're still going to leave there being like, yeah, but I am kind of ugly or I am kind of stupid or I am kind of uh, uh, whatever it may be. And like um, there's no consideration of that because well, that because that part's hard. Right. It's it's (laughs) it's not easy to say I'm sorry, but compared to the other side of things, it's much easier to say I'm sorry. Then how can I help make this better? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think about our kids. Um, I think every parent's like this. We try not, kids are really good at lying. And one of the things you got to teach them is, Hey, if you keep lying, then there are going to be consequences. I won't be able to trust what you say. I just won't. It's not because I don't like you. It's not because I think you're bad. It's because I just can't trust your words. If you keep on lying to me. So my kids, of course, are not in this place, but let's say somebody developed a pattern where all they do is lie. Saying you're sorry for that pattern isn't going to erase what that taught somebody. You Even have to if do, you mean it. Yeah, especially yeah. if you mean it, right? Yeah. You have to do a considerable amount of work to restore the trust that's been broken in your words of lying about whatever it is that you're lying about. Maybe everything. Right. Um, and I think uh, the the little bit I've read from Jewish scholars around repentance is that that whole process is repentance. Mm-hmm. It's not just saying you're sorry and receiving forgiveness. It is the work that comes after to restore whatever that particular sin or whatever it is has ruptured, uh, destroyed, or or loosened. Mm-hmm. I remember I'm when I I think I did an episode by myself a long time ago about forgiveness and I mentioned gosh I can't remember her name now her name was Danya something she's a reform rabbi and she had a whole article about this and the idea being that in some rabbis will say if you haven't done 
these kinds of restitutionary things. You shouldn't be asking God for forgiveness if you haven't also been doing these things, because it doesn't mean much without it, you know? So a good example, I think, is if somebody is abusive to the people in their lives, if they say they're sorry, that's well and good, I guess. The problem is, like, if this is a pattern of behavior for someone, in order for that to, I think, really be repent, re, re, repentful, what's the word I'm looking for here? Repent, um, re, uh, repentative? Yeah, that's not a word either. Whatever that word is, for that to really mean <laughs> repentance, then like it should involve something like, and I'm going to start seeing a counselor to work on how, like why I do these sorts of things. And, you know, I'm going to um, do my best to change my behavior, you know, whatever it is. Like, uh, I think it requires more than just, obviously, like we've up to this point, you can, you can see it requires more than just saying, I'm sorry, but there's got to be something concrete about, yes, I realize this behavior was hurtful, so I'm going to do what I can to not hurt anymore. And even though that doesn't guarantee I won't, right, because it doesn't, it does at least show that I'm doing everything I can to try and make right the thing that was wrong. Yeah. Yeah, I like that last part because it's not a formula that says, hey, if I do these things, then you have to forgive me and we have to be in a restored relationship, at least some to some degree. No, that's that's not the point of it. And I want to ask this question because I'm sure somebody out there is thinking, boy, that's a lot of fucking work. Like, uh-huh. yeah, that's a lot is. of shit. <laughs> like, why? Why would I have to put that much into it um, if all I'm concerned about is a right relationship with God? Well, because hopefully you're concerned about more than just a right relationship with God. <laughs> right. That's what we're getting at. But more than that, like. You know, they they would say all the time about how sin leads to death, right? Well, it does. It, it, it not just hurts, but it kills people, you know, in some way, shape or form, maybe in a small way, in a little way or who in a large way. And so, yeah, if you want to try and make that right, it's going to take work. It's going to take hard work because you did. It's like if you have a massive injury putting a bandaid on it isn't going to fix it. <laughs> right. Right. That's just not how it works. That's just not, it's just not how any of this works. Um, <laughs> even though it would be great. Like if I have some kind of really bad health problem, it'd be great if I could just put a bandaid on it and not need a doctor or a surgeon or any of these things, but that's not going to help me out if I've got, I don't know, some chronic illness. So I think it's for me, it's like, okay, I'm going to take you your word seriously about sin causing death. Well, when death is in the picture, however big or small, literally or not, not necessarily, although I guess it could be, then that's going to take more than just a Band-Aid. Yeah, I like that. For me, I agree 100%. That's definitely where I would go as well. I would also add, to bring back the phrase that I use, the morality game, that's a game you don't need to play. And if you don't need to play that game, then morality is not really your main concern here. Your concern is, at least in your standing before God, right? Your concern is for your neighbor. That's what I think Jesus is doing in Luke 15 with the Good Samaritan. It's like, hey, if you want to show what it mm. looks like to love people, this is what it looks like to love people. It, it's not, um, you know, 
well, let's say what it is, because that's more important. What it is in that text is going above and beyond to take care of somebody who you wouldn't otherwise take care of right. socially, culturally, even personally. I don't know the personal story between the two, but, um, and I think that that is one of my main beefs with conservative Christianity and the, the religion I was taught is it diverts all our attention away towards making sure that we've got all our boxes checked instead of taking care of people for who they mm. really are. Mm -hmm. And shouldn't we want to make people's lives better? Like, shouldn't we <laughs> want to bring life like to everybody that we meet? Like, shouldn't I be not just willing, but shouldn't I want to put in that kind of effort if it brings healing to people? Yeah. Like, I, like that's that's the whole deny yourself, pick up your cross, yeah. think mm -hmm. of others better than yourselves kind of stuff, right? First shall be last, <laughs> take your pick. Like yeah. this, this is kind of the central idea of Jesus. <laughs> you know, like th this is this is another one of those fundamental principles that Jesus taught. I think a, not the only one, but a lot of the other stuff is based on this idea of of putting the other first. And so, mm -hmm. yeah, if that requires me to do hard work and it probably will, because that's yeah. how things work, yep. then I should want to do that. And and it should be not even in like a, Oh, here's some drudgery. Although that too, maybe, but more of the sense of like, man, not only is this like, if I, for if I'm the person in my example, let's say I'm, you know, abusive to people in my life, the fact that, saying sorry isn't enough. And so if I'm doing, if I'm getting counseling, if I'm doing all these other things, well, that's going to be one, it's going to help make it better for others. But pragmatically, it's also going to help me, <laughs> right? Like by doing whatever these things are, first, you're helping the other people in the way that should have been your concern from the first, in the first place. But selfishly, I guess, or let's say pragmatic, because that sounds better <laughs> in this context, but it's going to help yeah. me too. Like it just, it's, it makes it's not just that it makes sense, but it's just the there's a reason I think that Jesus said it. There's a reason God set it up this way is because it's what's good for all of us. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so turning repentance around to look at not just what our words are, but what our actions are to not only forgive, but restore as a whole process. Um, I think that's really important because, um, you know, we can look at three different ways that repentance works between me and God. Um, I think that's still a process, right? Um, I would actually point to Jesus's great commandment where you love God by loving others. Mm -hmm. Um, and if you're not restoring relationships, if you're not living in that repentance through action as well as words, then I'm not going to say God's not going to forgive you, but that's where he's always going to point you back. God's always going to say, great, you're forgiven. Go and do what you need to do in order to fulfill this full repentance that right. we, we have here. Because he loves that person just as much as you do or should or whatever it is. And wants that person to be, as you were just saying, in a good relationship with you just as much as uh, with him. And I think that's really important um, and missed in the church. We mm -hmm. don't have that. 
in the church really at all. <laughs> Not that I ever heard anyway. I think the best that we get is we put like some of that into justification and some of it into sanctification, which is just like when you start talking that way, people get lost real quick. Mm -hmm. And maybe I'm miscalculating or uh, misrepresenting what this is. It's a good chance because I don't like systematics. But um, even if I am... Uh, it seems like most of the effort is put on justification because uh, through words and through Christ's work and not our work, right? So we get into that weirdness there. Um, but we also haven't touched on something that you foreshadowed earlier on, which is corporate mm-hmm. sin and corporate misdeeds that we've done, uh, corporate harm that we've done. And I think if we were to round out repentance, not only individually do we have to like engage in significant worth uh, work with the people that we have hurt, but a church that really believes in repentance, shouldn't it uh, focus on those corporate harms that it does to its community and to the wider world? Uh, yes. Okay, have a good week. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think the other thing is we've talked all this time about it being too individual, right? And a lot of that is, I think, I don't know enough about other places in the world, but a lot of that comes from the fact that we in America, the Western world, see it as a very individual faith, you know? And so we've created a very individual repentance, ignoring the fact that none of us are truly individuals in the sense that we live in a society with other people. Um, You know, just in the U.S., 300-something million other people live here with us. So however individual we may view ourselves, we're not, at least in the sense of not to the exclusion of all other people. Unless, I suppose, you live in a hut in the middle of Alaska and nobody (laughs) knows you exist. Um, for the, everybody else, we're not actually individuals because every action I do affects someone other than me. Right. Mm -hmm. That's the thing is like, it's, it's not possible given how interconnected our world and our society is. It's not possible to live in a way that doesn't affect other people, good or bad. Like there's no way to isolate yourself now. Um, I don't know if there ever was, but especially now it's just not possible. And so when we frame repentance as only a individual thing, we ignore the fact that we don't live individual lives. We just don't. So when I think of corporate kind of harms we do to people, it's within like the wider conversation in our culture. So um, the church hasn't been great with women. Certainly um, there's racism and... um, sexism, and there's also violence to LGBTQ folks. Um, What kind of uh, harm, or what does that look like when we're talking about repentance of Mm. um, the church recognizing that corporate harm? I mean, I think that this is a more difficult one because for me, just like anybody else, it's still the default to think of it in an individual sense, right? Yeah. Like we've talked about it before where I I think I've run into people maybe in the past, I've probably, you know, far past, I hope, said something like it myself, like, well, I'm not going to repent for, say, the genocide of Native Americans because I never did any of that, right? Um, The problem is that, like, 
it's not about what Ryan individually has done because Ryan still benefits from that terrible thing that happened and continues to benefit from the reality that it created. And so when I don't work in any way to try and uh, make things different in the sense that like better for those who have been wronged, in a way, I'm still guilty of it, even though I, like I said, I did not commit genocide as an individual person. Um, I did not, as an individual person, I did not steal land, yet I still live on land that was stolen, right? And yeah, benefit mm-hmm. from that and all of these kinds of things. And so I think like there's, that's a great example of how the fact of it can't be an individual thing because the actions of people in the past and us as a society today continue to take place, then benefit me and hurt other people. So if that's true, then we have to go into the conversation we just had about words are fine, but we need more than that. We need action. We need to, and for something like that. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know the way to make, like to use that example, since I brought it up. I don't know the way to, quote, fix that. I think that's right. way too simplistic of a way to look at it. But I also know it's not in every church in America tomorrow could sincerely say, which this will never happen, by the way, but let's just pretend every church in America, conservative to liberal to in between, tomorrow sincerely said, we repent of the horrible harm that was done to indigenous people here. That doesn't really even mean that much, right? right. Now, if they say we sincerely repent of these things and here's what we're doing to try and divest ourselves of privilege or to try and um, help with needs in indigenous communities or here's a law we're working to repeal because it hurts people or, you know, it'd have to be, those are just things that, off the top of my head, like none of those things aren't enough by themselves either, but it would have to be some combination of, yeah, you're sorry, but here's what we're doing to try and make things better and not, and and that's, or I should say that's irrespective of what anyone in the wronged community says or does as a result, you yeah. know, like it, 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 it's really all I like, I'm struggling with this because it's hard to think about it this way because I never really did until recently, you know, but it's gotta be words are great, but they don't get you very far, especially in a reality where people are still being hurt on a daily hourly basis. Um, And so what are you doing to show not just, not just show that you're sorry, because like you can usually tell when someone says they're sorry and they mean it. Some people, not so much, but generally you can tell, right. right? Yeah. But so, okay, what are you doing to try and help? And that's what I think would be, you know, in that one or any of the other examples you've, you've mentioned. So like I can say in an area where I'm more comfortable talking about, for example, um, every conservative church in America could tomorrow say, hey, I'm really, we're really sincerely sorry for how gay people have been treated, how we've treated trans people, how any of those things. And unless they start doing things that are concrete that actually start to make uh, things life better for people in that community, um, I mean, I don't really care because it doesn't really mean very much otherwise. 
You know, we live in a society now where people are continually trying to make it so that like I couldn't get married someday or that gay people can't adopt children or that like not that long ago, they almost had it so that doctors could refuse to treat gay and trans people because of their so-called religious beliefs. Well, Mm -hmm. in a world while that's still happening, I don't really it doesn't really matter how sorry people are about it when it's within their power to make it not a thing. Right. That's what matters. Right. And that's what shows true repentance to me. Um, and so even if it's not perfect, I should say, I, I don't like this kind of thing means that it's not like someone says, I'm sorry and means it. And these are the things I'm going to do. And then therefore it's all like that fixes everything. I don't think that's what's expected. Like, I, I don't expect that just speaking for myself, but like effort. You know, like concrete steps to show I'm trying for me personally speaking, only as Ryan, (laughs) that's what matters to me. Uh, I'm much more willing to say, okay, that seems genuine. If I can, you know, it doesn't. Yeah, I'm willing to work with people on at that point, as long as there's some kind of effort that's obvious. Yeah. Well, what what strikes me about that most of all is that. I, I noticed you said a couple times that this would never happen across the board. And um, I think to like bring out uh, just the fact that you're asking for a little bit or that a little bit would be enough to show that real repentance, that could be um, one congregation or one group of people. It doesn't have to be an entire congregation even. It certainly doesn't need to be a church body or the entirety of American Christianity. Um, moving forward to, to make this uh, a reality, this repentance a reality, I think what it would also do um, is illuminate um, how much work we have to do, like mm-hmm. as a church, um, if we to show that we really care about people, um, if we own up to our corporate sins or corporate harms and recognize that it's not about the morality game, even at that congregational or church level, it's about the relational stuff and what that has done. Like uh, for for indigenous people, there's a great deal of talk about uh, generational you know, trauma and for obvious reasons, right? Mm-hmm. And they're still dealing with some of that trauma. And <laughs> trauma is not an easy thing to deal with if it's just personal trauma, let alone what one group of people have done to another. We see that all over the place. And I think what it would do is open our eyes to compassion. It would open our eyes to uh, really the hurt in this world and and how powerful God's love can be in the midst of that. And, um, I love that. I think that that is definitely something we should, uh, I could easily say this in my chair here in the office and Fort Wayne, but something that I strive to do is, is speak into, um, into that, not just by saying, I'm sorry, because the words are cheap when it comes to that, yeah. doing something to, to rectify that, whether that is, some things I do for native uh, indigenous people is I shop in certain places where only they um, they sell their goods um, and could be anything. I think the last time I it was coffee, maybe I can't mm. remember or or uh, it was a tea of some sort that I bought. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that's really important to 
to do and fills out that repentance that we were talking about on an individual level, but also on a corporate level. This is Nate. I am editing after we've done the recording for this session. And what I'm about to share could have the implication, or maybe it could be heard directly, that I'm playing a victim of the racial justice conversation within my congregation. And I, I'm really sorry if that's how it comes across. My, my point in that detail was that that was the tipping point for everything that was going on in my congregation. Uh, believe you me, there is a whole lot more going on here. Uh, the racism that came out as a result of my preaching um, was just like it, it made everything happen much quicker. Uh, and it deeply saddens me that that's the reality that I live in in this congregation. However, the damage that I'm going to speak about is something that happened before and after this. Uh, that's just a marker in the timeline for me of when things started to unravel a bit more at my congregation. So, so I hope you hear this with that in mind. My hope here is not to overshadow the plight of people of color with, you know, the problems of a white man in power at a congregation but rather just served as a marker in the midst of all the chaos that was happening at this congregation. So we've talked about, um, and just barely, not even really scratching the surface. I mean, talk about dropping the bucket, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. About what repentance might look like in a more healthier, better way, right? Um, in terms of like, on an, still on an individual basis in that like me to one other person or something. And then we just talked about the macro sense of like societal um, structural kind of things that what repentance might look like. But just to, because we're kind of looking at a lot of different ones here. Are there any other uh, levels or types or something like that of repentance that come to mind for you? Well, I think the idea of corporate repentance is something that really we haven't paid much attention to in the church. Um, and so I would look for ways that that can happen. Of course, it can happen society-wide. It can happen communally communally in terms of, hey, maybe this church did or said something and therefore they need to repent. But then it kind of gets into weird, maybe it's just the pastor that said it. And we, we have that with the Mark Driscoll stuff up in uh, mm -hmm. uh, with well. the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill podcast. Um, I'm getting a little uncomfortable that it's just blaming Mars Hill or Mark for Mars Hill as, as horrible as that was. Um <laughs> I got to say, most people probably did not attend that church uh, without knowing really what was yeah, going I mean, on. You know? He's guilty, no doubt. Yeah. However, he's one dude. Yeah. And supported by, you know, the latest enabled one was what? By enabled by yeah. tens of thousands of people mm -hmm. that show up to the Seattle um, but, Superdome or whatever. And not to mention just the leaders around him. Like yeah, the, exactly. But anyway, yeah. But that's an example of how corporate harm can be turned into individual harm because that's easier and it fits better within our models. 
And, um, you know, I kind of want to speak to something that I have experienced. It's not really public in terms of our podcast because uh, it's not meant for for this, but I think it really applies for today. And it's the relationship between the pastor and the people. And, you know, just like anything societal, there's going to be layers and problems and, uh, you know, pitfalls to avoid as we have this conversation. But um, I'm in a congregation that corporately has not treated me well. Um, Individually, there are certain people that haven't treated me well. Um, But corporately, the the culture of the congregation is a very unhealthy um, culture. And, you know, it started uh, last year, well, really 2020. Yeah, that was last year. (laughs) Started last year when George Floyd was murdered. I started preaching against racism. And the long and the short of it is, and I'm going to be very careful not to air all the dirty laundry, but to give you context, the long and the short of it is, is that uh, my congregation, certain people within my congregation, um, tried to cut my salary and cut the staff that I had hired in order to send a message that, that wasn't okay. Um, it's a lot more complicated than that, but that's basically what it was. And um, what has happened since then is there's like this growing development and growing idea that people have put themselves in, a, in in camps saying that, you know, there are those people who were here before, uh, the power brokers and so forth, and they're the ones that did the terrible stuff, and they did. And then the rest of us, we're here and we're just mm-hmm. as oppressed and so forth as you are. And yet... Uh, they allowed this to happen. In fact, the board that voted for this before I stepped in was full of people who just basically gave a rubber stamp to it without asking any questions about it. And since then, um, there's been no like general apology. There's been no general work to say, what can we do to restore this relationship? Um, and you know, I don't have to tell you, it hurt quite a bit to know that um, people were willing to go along with a very toxic and very problematic solution or quasi-solution, didn't really solve any solutions, to the problems that we have. And then when that didn't work out, they just kind of put the blame on the folks who orchestrated it and didn't pay attention to what that did to me, what that did to my staff member. There, there was none of that. And it's really kind of like, if you were to ask them why it would be because, well, we didn't do any of that stuff. Mm -hmm. Right. But this is where corporate harm really is something we need to grab onto because I'm leaving this congregation. Um, because of this, but not only because of this, but certainly because of this, because the harm is just so much and they haven't made any efforts to reconcile, to repent, to say, uh, even if they're part of the culture that had been hurt by this, um, they kind of stayed around and by staying there made it so that this was something that unfolded for us. 
And I say all that because this is a good way, like in your congregation, if you're talking about relationships with people, um, there is definitely some group that has harmed another group in your church. It's just, that's the way that it works. It could be a board that has done things. If you're in a board structure um, that's hurt other people, it could be, um, (laughs) I don't know, a ministry team. Uh, When I first, you know, I can share lots of examples how that was going on in my church. There was a women's group who was with one of these folks that that voted to to try to get me out. Um, They kind of clearly had boundaries of who was allowed and who was not allowed in their women's group. That's a group doing harm to women. Um, Doesn't matter if it's made of women, it was very misogynistic and terrible because it treated women who were not part of their group as undesirables. Um, So you have this in lots of like, to bring it very practical and congregational dynamics, this is always there. And to help it so that congregations can recognize the corporate harm that either they or groups within them do, I think would be a really phenomenal step, to be honest. Um, I think it'd be just as good, if not better, to take care of societal problems because those are important as well. And if we're really going to be the church, then we need to show that we love everybody no matter what. And we can only do that through a process like repentance where we're taking care of folks. But when I think of the congregational setting, I think to myself, well, you know, we're not even doing that right. So how can we do the the bigger, more important stuff or the just as important stuff, depending on how you want to see it? It makes sense to me why we're not, because we're so individualistic that in a very traumatic experience for me as a pastor, folks are very ready to blame bad guys or bad girls on the problem instead of recognizing, hey, we all together created this and, and we're sorry. Uh, we're grateful for what you've done to, to bring this to light so we can move beyond it. And what can we do further to show that we really do support you and we really want to be in, in a community with you? Um, I hope that doesn't sound too much like uh, this is Nate and, uh, you know, I'm always worried it's too much focus on me, but I think that's a really good place you can focus on, um, yeah, creating some repentance within your own congregation. Well, and the thought that I had while you were talking about it is that, um, you know, we are trying today to look at different ways this could happen, not to compare any of them to the other as much as I think that hopefully it illustrates how much need for repentance there is just kind of across the board. And maybe it's that God is showing us different ways that we can learn how to do this. And, you know, and so maybe, you know, it starts with you being more uh, concrete in how you repent for things you do individually, or perhaps you can help it be a thing at your church because you, you know, the church together recognizes that they've done harm in this way to this person or group of people. And then, you know, as that is a thing, you start to be more comfortable with the idea of, you know what, there does need to be some corporate repentance and societal repentance. And, you know, 
uh, whatever the case may be there. Because I think as we try to do this, we get, I really do think in a way, it's sort of like a skill that you learn how to repent and how to mean it and how to act on that repentance. And so it's not that we're trying to compare one of these to the other as much as there just is such a need for repentance everywhere. And that in a way you could say like, and it is, that's terrible, right? That that much is required. But I also think it can be a way that maybe God is teaching us to look for ways to, to repent because it's good for everybody when we do specifically, it's good for the people that are harmed, but it's also good for us because that's what makes us more like Jesus, you yeah. know? And so I, I, there's lots of places and levels in between the, the ones that examples that we've brought up here, and we're not going to put them on a scale and weigh them against each other as much as just to say, look around you and I bet you'll find something. You know, start with yourself if you need to. You know, we're individuals and we have grown up in a faith that only goes there. And yes, there's problems with that. And I don't think it's a full view of things. But if that's where you got to start, then start there. And I think then we can all do that. We can all be individuals together. How's that? No, <laughs> no I, I'm I'm sort of joking. I just mean it gives us lots of opportunities to find ways to repent and not in just not just to say we're sorry, but to try and make things better mm-hmm. than they are. I'm just thinking, like, what if? That's why this series called "What If." What if the church really looked like that? I, I think that, boy, it's not just needed, and you didn't mean it like this. But some could say, well, it's needed from like an abstract level, like we all. The world could need that or could use a little bit more repentance. But it's also like it feels like on both sides of giving repentance and going through that process and receiving it on the other side, we are starving for repentance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just utterly starving for it. And or if you want to use another example that's about as concrete as it gets, right? Repentance in the kind that we're talking about today. Let's use the example of the world being literally on fire and probably uninhabitable in the next however many years, right? Yeah. Repentance like we're talking about is not just saying, gosh, we're sorry for the way we've treated creation. <laughs> it's trying to address ways and hopefully makes it so that the planet stays habitable for human life, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a pretty concrete example for you uh, of the kind of thing that we're talking about. Yeah. And I would want to live in a world like that, that has that kind of repentance. Yes, I like living in a world that has the ability to grow food and feed people. <laughs> well, yes. Yes. But also relational repentance and yeah. what that means between people or people groups or... Um, it makes me like... I know we're done here, but it really does make me like reconsider when Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father through me and our evangelistic model being sharing the cognitive truth that Jesus is speaking about. But um, what if what Jesus is really doing there is showing what it looks like to live in repentance, in relationship Mm -hmm. with the people fully? And that's the truth um, and the way and the life that that he has for us. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, because it certainly would be very life giving 
right? To be able to be somebody who gives such repentance through a lifelong struggle with other people, but also to receive that. Like I can't, how the, and this ties into the individualism and why that's such a corrosive thing on repentance, but how many people don't really know each other in a mm. deep level? Um, especially with all the harms that we do to each other. And we don't need to go into it, but I'm just like, it's got my brain spinning yeah. about what that would really look like. The only other thing I was thinking about that, that we could just, I just wanted to bring up was that there seems to be this idea that, and I don't think this is an American thing, although it might be part of that, but it doesn't show weakness to be repentant. Like it sure <laughs> seems like people are so afraid to admit they're wrong because somehow that shows that you're weak or you're foolish or you're not good enough or, and it's like, well, none of us are good enough and that is okay. Yeah. And I think it takes a lot more strength to be repentant than it does to not. I think it's easy to just bury your head in the sand, deny all terms, gaslight the other person. Like that's easier to do than it is to say, yeah, you're right. I'm wrong. I did wrong. I wronged you. Here's what we can do to try and yeah. like, that's a lot harder to do. <laughs> in my mind, that's a lot. The strong person is the one who repents, not the person who refuses. Yeah. Because the person who refuses to repent is some combination of stubborn, uh, abusive, um, insecure, Arrogant. afraid, weak, you know, that because yeah. because they're they're not able to admit that they, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I just think we need to demolish this myth or this idea that admitting you're wrong uh, is somehow a bad thing. Like <laughs> it's a good thing. It's yeah. like, you know, anytime you have a uh, if you're in a any kind of relationship, romantic or otherwise, I've like I've found in my own life when there's been some kind of disagreement, if I sincerely say, you know what, you're right, I was wrong about this and I'm sorry man, that goes an awful long way. And you know, it's hard to do. <laughs> it's really hard to do because it's yeah. like, no, I'd rather be right. And you say this to me, right. but usually the, it, it works so much better. If, if I'm just able to be like, you know what, you're right. I was a shithead and I'm sorry. And, uh, that I'm not, I'm not saying that to be like, look how strong I am because I often don't succeed at doing that. But I'm just saying like, we need to get rid of this idea that repentance is somehow the weak way out or whatever, because I think it's quite the opposite. I, uh, <laughs> it's funny you mentioned that because I just preached a sermon on the gospel of Mark. And the whole point of the sermon was, um, Jesus is weak. And, mm. um, somebody said that. How, yeah, that's how the world changes. I think like it's great. Um, that the centurion sees Jesus on the cross and how he died. Mm -hmm. Usually we like say, and all this stuff around it, you know, the curtains tearing, it's dark and blah, 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 because we want to do things in the strong way. But mm -hmm. we see somebody die on the cross and the guy says, this must've been God. Wow. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, and the, the weakness is what shows the strength. Yeah, exactly. Right? It's like when yeah. I'm weak, then I'm strong kind exactly. of idea. And so, yeah, no, it fits. And so I hope, I hope anything, all the stuff we've said today, I, I hope it, as always, in this 
what if series that we've done here, not to impinge on Marvel's territory, but in this, uh, what if, like, what if the church was that we've been doing the last few weeks or whatever? I hope it, as always, serves as a, an inspiration to anybody who's listening um, to help make that reality possible in wherever you find yourself, um, in your church, in your family, in your relationships, in your life. Um, you know, whether you're the pastor or you're not the pastor, whoever you may be is like, I hope, even if you don't do any of the specific things we said, I hope it inspires your thoughts into something that does fit your context. Because we, I think Nate and I just have this conviction that the church does not have to be the way that it is. And I think that the complacency that uh, has put it there is a huge part of all the problems that not just he and I see, but that are evident in the church today. This, like the church doesn't have to be the bad way that it is. It doesn't have to be this way, especially if we don't let it be anymore. And so I, I hope that this stuff we've talked about can be uh, something that uh, gets your mind going or, or works in your heart in a way that that uh, can help bring about difference, bring about change, something better. Um, I think that's what God wants to do. And I think that God is faithful in showing all of us what that is in our lives and in the lives of the communities that we're in. Um, as always, would love to hear your thoughts on this, uh, about this specifically, or a story where you've had something like this in your life that you'd like to share with us or anything in between, uh, frontierfaithpodcast at gmail.com. We would like to hear from you. We don't hear from very many of you, and Nate's really upset about it. He uh, he gets very despondent, and I have to console him a lot, and I'm getting tired of it. So if you'd please just talk to us, you should see his face right now. He's I'm also not telling the truth, but we would like to hear from you. That is the truth, <laughs> so let us know. Um, yeah, I don't think there's anything else we need to tell them, Nate, like other than the lies I just said. Uh, I think we don't got anything coming up special yet. We got Halloween right. episodes next next two weeks. Oh yeah, they're going to be spooky. It should be fun. I, I hope. Um, <laughs> We're just going to play and have fun and see yeah. what what comes. We're going to ask some questions that are almost entirely irrelevant to life, but fun to think about theologically as kind of a what if this? What would that mean? And so it's all made up. It's all probably nonsense, but I hope. It, I'm excited about it because it sounds like fun and something different. I hope that you agree. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and if not, then there's only one Halloween a year, so you don't have to worry about it. <laughs> so with repentance, just like everything else, I think God will show us what we need to know, tell us what we need to hear, and, and show us ways that we can do this, because I think God will use it to, to remind us that things are okay or that things can be made okay. Maybe that's the way I should put it this week because God will take care of us. 